Welcome to the Birthing Ad Bod Podcast. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early parenting. Yay! G'day, how's it going? I'm Steve from the Prepare Foundation. We are a registered charity that helps first-time dads make an awesome contribution at the birth of their child. This is a podcast where we get blokes talking about their experience to share their wisdom with other men who are about to go through the life-altering change that comes with first-time fatherhood. So let's hear about the transition of parenthood from a dad's perspective. Hello and welcome everyone to the latest instalment of the Birthing Dads podcast. Today we're joined by Cam from Busy. He's a father of two. How are you doing, Cam? Very, very well, thank you. I'm not from Busy though. Oh, Brizzy. Start again. <laughs> oh, Brizzy. Sorry, I thought you said Busy. <laughs> sorry, mate. My bad. I thought you were talking about my company name. I was like, um, anyway, sorry about that. My hey, that's apologies. all right. Um, no, that, that's yeah. totally fine. Let's go again. <laughs> no, I'm Let's cool with that. Again. Okay. Uh, you're from Sweet. Brisbane and uh, um, welcome to the Birthing Dads <laughs> podcast, mate. There you go. Oh, mate. I think everyone just got some insight into my control freak nature. That's good. Um, yes, from Brisbane and um, loving the humidity at the moment. It's my kind of weather. Excellent. Well, uh, I remember back in November, I think it was, we met at the Childbirth and Parenting Association conference. And I remember your presentation like distinctly and uh, we it was the buzz of the whole conference I have to tell you mate like a lot of people were talking about uh, and trying to explain what you do uh, to each other and were, there was a lot of uh, questions bandied around so perhaps you could just give us a bit of a I mean a quick elevator pitch of your of what you're what you're doing. Yeah, cool. So, uh, well, the bigger picture is that we want to eliminate chronic disease and pain by the year 2050. That's our goal, our vision. And the mission that allows us to do that is in order for us to actually get a a result for everybody, you need to know how people are different. And then you need to be able to support them in that difference. Like we're not trying to support people to be the same. We're trying to support people to be themselves. And we've been doing this in a medical uh, field for a long time since the year 2000 we've been studying and developing this this research in this space and uh, we're doing a whole lot with health professionals and corporate well-being and and parents in in a precision health way so we can understand what makes a person different and then able to provide them all of the different environmental elements that allow them to put them into their best health we're doing studies on reversing diabetes heart disease burnout all of those types of things um, but a big push came from parents that were understanding, oh, gee, this information is great. How can we understand our children? And we've got a uh, a parenting program and that we will also work with schools in personalized learning to say, this is how your child is built biologically and why they're different. And this is the environment that they're going to need to enable them to feel good being themselves. And that's the really important piece is that parents often try and make unconsciously try and make their children like them because they think they have a successful model of the world, which probably is a successful model of the world for them. But you might have a child that is very biologically different because of the way that they've developed in the womb. And uh, and as a result, they're really competitive while you're not. They're really direct with their language while you're a little bit more retiring and passive. Uh, they might really love early mornings, whereas you don't, or all of those things, vice versa. 
And um, so this allows a, a parent to have a very objective understanding of their child, what actually create has cr- contributed to their development, what makes them who they are, because so much of our identity is actually formed by our biological inputs. And there's some really lovely research around the genetics of things to say that, you know, you aren't actually influencing your child in having a certain personality. You're, you essentially are observing them while their genetic traits play out over the course of their life because every single personality trait is actually in some way heritable based on the, the genetic mosaic of your family, you know. So um, this is the, the really important thing is that your children are them. They're not you. And we want you to understand what is them from a biological perspective so that you can support them to be more of them, which is where happiness occurs. It's actually where disease reversal occurs. If you put a person into an environment that is more them, their body goes out of a state of stress and into a state of healing. And this is exactly why we're able to support people medically, but also what we're seeing in schools and with parents to say, oh, I've got a competitive early morning direct child and they're all strengths and I'm going to support them to be more of them and not try and shut that down because it doesn't match who I am, which we're doing with our best of intentions, but often we don't have that objective lens of this child is actually different. I feel confident in supporting them in this way. And and for that reason, we often see a lot of our childhood, our children's traits as weaknesses or things they need to grow out of when in fact they're just, you know, it's just them. less mature yeah. version, less mature versions of their strengths. Exactly. So um, that's, that's the, that's a much longer than any elevator ride I've been on, but um, uh, I guess it's, it's important that we're, we've got a context of actually really supporting our entire species. And a, and a huge part of that is actually having a, a generation of children that know themselves and know who they aren't, which is just as important. Look, yeah. uh, brilliant work, mate. And uh, that summary is fascinating. And and I it, just as you were saying that, I thought, wow, I, I need to get him on to talk more in more detail about that for dads. But anyway, let's, um, let's get to the, the task at hand. I wanted to start out with just getting to know you a little bit with a with a hot five minutes of a few questions that might uh, just let people know a little bit more about yourself. Uh, what music are you listening to at the moment? Well, that's a good question. Pretty much anything my son turns on, which is a much more, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a mature palette, but for he's eight and he listens to a whole lot of stuff. Like he actually is into rock. He's into... Um, uh he's into a bit of pop he's into his 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 romance songs as well Uh, there's something about it so anyway we we just listen to sort of whatever he wants to put on normally it's a bit of fun and and he like he's actually getting into a bit of the old stuff now i keep it on 104.5 not that i'm you know this is the, the channel in brisbane and it's got all of the old classics like anytime you put on there there's nothing modern that I'm not aware of. It's all the stuff that I grew up with. So I'm just, I'm bathing both my boys in that music a little bit, just so that I can uh, make sure that I can enjoy some music with them as time goes on. So I'm not, not really fussed, mate, but, um, but, but he's, he's coming up with some good choices these days. That's great. And so what's the first good movie that comes to mind? Oh, of, of late, uh, I, I quite liked Avatar Way of Water. The it latest was, um, one. Yeah. It was, and it, yeah, yeah, and and probably the a lot of the things of, like that just revolve around um, just the enjoyment with with my little man if he understands it. But I'd have to say that probably one of the best movies in the last few years has been the the latest Spider Man. I'm a massive Marvel nerd, and uh, the the latest the Spider Man with all of the Spider Men coming together from different dimensions that was 
That was a real highlight. The Spider Verse. <laughs> what what's it called? Is it, it, it oh is no, it. not the Spider Verse. No, it was um uh it was no, it's the one where like Toby Maguire came back and like they had all of the Spider-Men coming together to fight off all of the different dimension, all of the different enemies from all of their past. It was it was brilliant. <laughs> As if you follow the Marvel, the Marvel thread of things, um, then it, it was it was just really well put together. I loved it. Where would you visit if there was no barriers? There was money wasn't an issue and time was Ooh. fine. Uh I, I'd really love to. I'd, I mean, I'd really love to do a, a Maldives or, or Bora Bora uh, just because I've got a real fascination for waking up and jumping off my balcony into nice clear water. And for that reason, um, for my 40th, whether it's this year or next year, I want to create a flotilla of friends and with some catamarans in the Sundays, and we just all pitch in and, and be able to do that. But I would also like to, as 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 wonderful as the the Whit Sundays and the the great uh, the Great Barrier Reef is, I'd love to go to those places where they film the most incredible coral. I think it's in the Caribbean. Like I would really, really love to go and and uh, just snorkel around those areas, just in that Caribbean water. That is that is one thing on my mind that I, I think about a lot. That's on the list, the bucket list. Yep, that's right. right. Yep. Exactly. You can invite anyone to dinner, living or dead, and uh, who is it and what would you cook them? Uh, oh, okay, that's good. So one person? Oh, a few if you want. Yeah, I'd go, I'd go Napoleon Hill. I'd go, um, I'd go, uh, so Napoleon Hill was a huge influence of mine in, um, I don't know if, anyway, for those people who don't know him, he studied, he worked with Andrew Carnegie and Henry and, and Ford back in the day, and he essentially studied 16,000 people from bums on the street to the most successful people on the planet as to what are the things that allow a person to be successful. Uh, and it's just this thesis, the law of success that he's written, is just absolutely phenomenal. And all of the things that he would have learned along the way, like the soft stuff that would be outside of the pages would definitely be worth a, a conversation. Uh, and then uh, there's, a lot of the stuff that we do, Hipp- Hippocrates did a lot of it, you know, 4,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago, I should say. So I would love to pick his brain and just just be just be in the presence of it. It need to be longer than a dinner because there's a, a very similar-minded individual who's a, actually our chief medical officer who thinks the same way, does the same so- sorts of things, has an incredible capacity and just hearing how he contextualizes the world is fascinating and so to have hippocrates to dinner uh just the way that they see the world is so different to everybody else it's just they they they're looking at things at much higher levels of order but with the same level like with with a greater level of granularity like it's fascinating uh, so that lived experience as well like that that's something that i'd really draw from and then I was actually thinking about this this morning, so I'm just going to throw it in there. I'd probably get Michael Jackson along for a bit of entertainment uh, for the same reason, like the, the breadth and 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 brilliance of his music. I would love to just pick his brain, like what actually goes on in that creative space. And yeah, and he's one incredible. of the, the first humans to be world famous from a bit, like from birth almost. So he yes, would have a, yes. he would have a, an incredibly insightful view of the world from a I don't know from a a weird and insular 
point of view because he wasn't Absolutely. able to experience it as a normal human being. That's true. And, and while there was a lot of lack of normality about him, he sustained his success forever. Like he didn't just fall in a heap. I mean, there may have been some pretty big personal changes going on in his life, but the ability for him to produce music was just, it was unstoppable and consistent for the, you know 40 years. Oh, and awesome. the videos as well. So, his music yes, videos exactly. are phenomenal. Yeah. 100%. So that, and I'd probably, I'd probably just cook whatever Hippocrates thought was the right thing for us all. Yeah, right. Because he'd have the 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 hardest palate to um to satisfy, because he would no 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 have the less of food in the past. No no no, not necessarily. Um, it's because uh, I mean my my background is as a dietitian and exercise physiologist, but uh the the big thing that we do is to personalise food, and so MJ being a like being who he is would probably need slightly different food to Hippocrates, slightly different food to Napoleon, et cetera, et cetera. So just we'd, we'd be tailoring the meal based on the guests and we'd be giving each person slightly different things just to make sure that they can be in optimal flow zone for the chat, which I'm going to be annoying them with. All right, let's move on. You over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was going to what what that question was meant to elicit was your favourite dish to cook. Oh right, okay. Yeah, I'm very plain. I'm very, I'm very functional with my food. It'd be a slow cook something, just like what I've got on the stove right now, because um, it's easy and it feeds Excellent. everyone. All right. So you, yep. you, when your, when your child is, is <laughs> when, when your child is twenty, uh, how old are your children, by the way? Eight and eight and two and a half and two and a half. Right. And so you walk past their bedroom, they're on the phone and you, you just kind of hear them talking about you. What would you like to hear them say about you? Oh, that's a great question. That is something that I think about a lot, actually. Um, the first thing is that they wouldn't have to hide what they're saying if they knew I was there. So uh, that's a big thing. And my, um, I just, I've always, I've done my best as I can to allow them free expression and to know that this is always a safe space and they're not going to get judged regardless of what's going on. That's very, very important. So the fact that they don't have to hide what they're saying would be a, like, would that would be telling enough. Um, but also uh, that I'm going to do something to hang out with dad because we've got some shared interests that we both enjoy in our own way. And um uh, like my dad's got my back or something to that effect, essentially just that, just that they feel supported and safe and that they can always return home and, and know that everything's all right. You've, uh, I imagine you've got a book in your future, Cam. Um, uh, if you care to share it, what would it be about? That is a good question. Uh, cause there's a lot of things. Um, it might be on, uh, it, it'd be something about the journey of of personalization and what it means to live in alignment with who you are biologically, who you are psychologically, um, and and the insights along the way. Like it could be, I'd say it might be part of the journey of what we're actually trying to create at the moment and sort of what we've had to go through. And but but I think a lot of it will be about you know what it is to actually live in your own personal flow like to be eating the right things and moving the right way and be doing work 
that you love and that you're purposeful about and but doing it in a way that matches you at the right time of day, you know, using your skill set to really flow and to triple down on your strengths, uh, but how those strengths are actually generated biologically and just just re- someone living in their their ultimate flow zone because um, that's that's essentially what we're we're trying to bring to yeah it, it, and and but knowing that what one person does through the day is to make that happen is going to be very different to another person and that's understandable and predictable and and doable um, but the the insight that you can get from that like to the the progression that people go through when they start discovering things about themselves as well that's um that's been a really interesting space for me. Excellent. So uh, moving into some of the content that I'd like to kind of uh, discuss today, in a similar vein to one of the questions I just asked you, what would you say about your own father? Uh, He has been incredibly loving, caring, generous, supportive, opened up as many opportunities as he possibly could for me. Um, Still to this day is incredibly supportive, selfless, fun yeah he's a great man i'm very very lucky i've got a great relationship with dad brilliant and uh, so you're bringing all of all of those positive traits that you just mentioned into your own fatherhood journey is there anything that you're leaving behind from what your father did or is there anything you wish wish he'd done differently or that he missed out on yeah um so firstly dad and i are very different uh biologically so i'm very um logical, structured, big vision focused, everything's about purpose, work until you die type mentality. This is something that actually relates to the dopamine in my brain and how it works. And he's incredibly social and connected and is just up for fun and and things have a purpose, but it's actually about the moment right now. And so both my kids though, interestingly, are like him. And so they're very social. They're, they're not the driven, focused person that, that I am. And that's fine because different people have different things and they'll be passionate about the things that they're interested in. So one of the things that I've had to learn is how does he play with them? Because that's actually something that I've got to mimic because they're more like him than they are me. That's been a big thing. One of the things though that definitely has come into my field is that Kids are expressing themselves because they are experiencing a feeling and that feeling should be honoured. And that's that's very much my belief. Whereas he's slightly more old school, which I loved, and that is, uh, no, you behave a certain way and you do this in a certain way. And, and in a way, he brings that into like sort of the parenting mix as well. Both are right, both are wrong, depending on who you talk to. Um, but ultimately, there's, there's probably a uh, just a greater flexibility in for the various ranges of behavior that my children have uh, than 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 he does. He's a little bit more old school that way, but in that way, it kind of balances things out. And to his credit, though, he's really allowed me to parent that way and to do it my way um, and and is supportive of that, even though you can see that it curls his lip and makes him a little bit frustrated every now and again. But he understands what I'm trying to do. He understands the rationale behind it. And so... Um, yeah, there's there's been big learnings from him, just who he is and what makes him feel great and watching him play with the kids because he's so naturally matched to the kids because they've got similar biological uh, sort of features. Whereas, uh, but then there's also the knowledge that I've accrued doing the work that I have in just allowing children to be who they are. And we are definitely going into a new world of like the world is not the same of follow this linear track and pathway to success in life. It's so 
a schematic now, the pathway to success for life. And so um, that that requires a different type of parenting and a different type of environment, a different type of freedom of expression. And so, um, yeah, probably hopefully that answers the question. I think so, definitely. Uh, would you care to share a childhood memory of your dad and, you, and yourself experiencing something? Yeah, probably probably as a broad cluster um, uh, sports. So we'd get up and we'd go swimming together in the morning um, and he'd always wake me up at six and we'd go swim and then there was a time when I'd get really keen and he'd then go more frequently because I was keen and all of those types of things. He would often go anyway. And then I'd just, you know, have these flashbacks of squash and we'd be playing squash and then we'd we've played lots of golf and then throwing the ball in the backyard and playing a bit of cricket and just lots of different exposures to lots of different sports, but all of it was just connected time. And um, that, that definitely stands out. Like I'm, I'm very play sport oriented in, in when I'm not working. So that, that, that was a pretty important part of my life. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, let's move into preconception and maybe share, uh, you know, what your experience of preconception was as, as a guy who kind of knows a little bit more about biology and diet and stuff like that, did you do anything specific before conceiving? Um, first one, we had a um, exciting uh, unplanned pregnancy three months in. So there wasn't much prep for that. And second one, so so there was there was zero prep for that. I mean, ultimately, I'd, I've got a health background, so I'm doing the things that, that I thought were best for me at the time. However, this was just before I'd found out about personalization. It was, you know, nine years ago now, uh, or a bit more than, yeah, a bit more than, yeah, nine a bit. And so I was doing some things, but I know it wasn't as good as what I could do now, but I was exercising regularly enough. I was eating pretty good foods. I was uh, sleeping well enough because we didn't have kids at that time. So that was good. Um and for the second one, though, it just so happened, once again, it wasn't completely planned. Um, we, uh, But interestingly, I'd just done like a 10-day, like really intense sort of detox um, or like a cleanse that was specific for my body and specific for what I needed at that particular time of year. Then it was probably four days later that we conceived. So I, I think as far as like preparation goes, that was as good as it would have come because I would have been in a really good space. And I definitely had a big shift in my health during that 10 days as well. So, um, but because both weren't really planned, I wasn't thinking that much about preconception stuff. Um, I was just sort of doing what I could with the health that I was doing as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so moving into pregnancy then, because I was going to then ask you about the actual conception process and whether or not you, you know, watched for uh, peak fertility or anything like that, but no, oh, no. Like you just <laughs> no. kind of, we're, we're happy. very fortunate so did, there. We didn't have to think about it. How did you feel on that first one with an unplanned pregnancy then, you know, suddenly you're going to be yeah. a dad and it's kind of a surprise. What was the feelings going on for you? Um, well, it was like, we had a pretty, we didn't have the, the strongest connection. Um, uh, mother of the kids and I, and we weren't on the same page with everything. And um, her initial response from what I thought was that she was considering an abortion and um, I was happy to support her in whatever we wanted. Like it was still pretty early, like we weren't old. Um, so 
we started talking about that, but it turned out it wasn't what she wanted, um, which I didn't realize at the time but that caused a bit of a bit of bit of trouble, which is um it wasn't a heap of fun. So just not having not knowing each other that well, it definitely having the conversation about these things definitely matters. And probably the biggest lesson I've learned is just um, you know, that that regardless of how long you've known this person or who it is, like you've got to sit in it and really know what's happening between you before you go outside and share it with other people and things like that. So um, that was a good lesson learned. Uh, as far as, um, yeah, so when I was, I mean, I, I, the the breaking point was probably, you know, a week later where I said, well, if, you know, if we, the 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 fathering wasn't actually the thing that I was worried about. I always kind of wanted to be a dad. I knew that it was just about whether this relationship was going to work or not. And so that was actually the thing going through my head. And I thought, well, if we are both aware enough and we're going to be able to progress together, then, and if we just keep improving, then there's going to be no stress. So uh, that was my mentality. And like, well, if we can make this work as a relationship, then we can, like the parenting is no problem. So it, it actually didn't, worry me too much the the kid thing it was actually the dynamic with with the mother of the kids uh so yeah it, it i mean maybe because that was the very intense thing and the very real thing at the time maybe i didn't really you know uh conceptualize what it is to have a child and that's why it didn't just play as big in my mind it, like, i hadn't really thought about it up until this point because i hadn't had a partner uh like this so yes it was it was much more related to the dynamic of the relationship rather than anything else you decided to go ahead uh, and tell us what uh, you know how the journey was from from that point. Then it was pretty rough <laughs> from a um, from a relationship point of view. Like we have uh, we we've got a really good uh, friendship now. Um, we're not together, but it's taken us eight years to get there, um, and we have a very very different set of values around, or at least a way of expressing and understanding each other's values. Um, that was big. So we had, uh, when you've got two people that aren't completely aligned, uh, it's amazing how many problems you can find. So um, there was a lot of, a lot of stress, uh, a huge amount of stress that I would love to be able to take back um, but, um, and, and sort of take my part of it back. Uh, so it was definitely not that connected time that I'd, you know, that you'd thought about that would be. So it was actually a really interesting deconstruction of a lot of what I thought life was going to be like. So, you know, a change in my expectations, a change in what is family life like and what's what's this pregnancy process going to be like? It's going to be us working together and learning about it together. And just because we we just, we, we, we were stressed between the two of us. We didn't have great communication. We didn't have um, an ability to be on the same page. Um, I had, you know, so it was, it was coming, but we weren't connected much during, and we did a lot of work to try and get that straight. Um, but um, yeah, six months after Bub came alive, we 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 split for the first time, and then we got back together. We tried it a couple of times. Yeah. So much more about the relationship than the actual pregnancy itself. Like I learned a few things about breathing and things like that, but really it was there was so much focus on the relationship that we like probably that that excitement of preparing for the barb and all of that sort of stuff, it was sort of lost to the, to the noise between us. Yeah. Yeah. But look, it's commendable to, to recognize the importance of the relationship 
and to work on that because you recognise that, well, a a child needs a stable environment and you thought, right, well, how can we make that uh, a possibility? And, yeah, so so it wasn't exactly the in, the way you'd envisioned supporting pregnancy. No, 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 it was not at all. And no. you, did you go to any antenatal appointments? We went to like a, a breathing workshop and I, I went to all of the maybe bar one of the um, – of the – ultrasounds and and yeah yeah exactly yeah went appointments. to mo- the yep. majority the mo- majority of those yep absolutely and how do you remember their birth like start from the beginning and take us all the way through uh labor was like a couple of days and i didn't really know what to do so uh like we were in touch with the doctor i guess um it was just kind of like a whole lot of dead time of like waiting for the contractions to steady and all of that type of thing there'd been a consideration for C-section, but the obstetrician had said, look, everything is engaged. This kid is ready to go. And you don't need to worry about that. Like a natural birth would be a recommended way to go, which was really nice to have that recommendation. So, um, because I guess part of my values and beliefs came from that, but with the second child, we actually had a C-section and that's also fine too. Like it's, you know, a lot of these things that you hold really tightly, you actually don't have to hold tightly. It just creates more stress to hold onto those things. Um, by having a lot less expectation, it's it's really taught me a lot about, you know, just not being so disappointed and actually just allowing things to play out the way they're going to play out. So the first one, we we went into hospital. Uh, we're both pretty naturally minded, but um, we had some because the contractions weren't doing what we thought they would. Just the tiniest little bit of syntocin actually just dropped her into a beautiful rhythm of contraction, which was really great. That was actually a bit of a game changer. Um, and so uh, I remember like from from that moment, it was a few hours. It was a really, really short push. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, baby comes out with a very, very strangely shaped head because he'd been sitting in an engaged position for a long period of time. And um, uh, uh yeah, we just like I was really clear with the obstetrician. I just want to make sure that the umbilical cord's got time to pump everything out and their skin to skin contact really early because some of them like are aware of that stuff but don't necessarily mandate that it happens. And so I, there were just a few things that were important to me that that happened. So we did that. And she said, Look, the umbilical cord's clear. I went, Sweet, that's great. And let's do the skin to skin thing. And yeah, and then we were like complication free. Like she, her her body was incredible throughout that process, and she did really, really well. Um, and then we had a a little baby boy, which was a pretty awesome. Baby boy, brilliant. Did you feel like a, a, a what what could be termed a bolt of love immediately, or did that take some time? That's an interesting one. Um, I would have to say that I didn't feel like. It was cool, but I didn't feel genuinely connected to the bub until he was about six months old. And not to say that I wasn't there and tending to, just it just felt like mum's time, you know? And not that, you know, yeah, I, I didn't have this um, like breakthrough moment of this is my child and this is all the things, but definitely uh, I felt caring of at the same time I, I i it was probably a little 
I didn't have as much awareness as I probably do right now. And to be able to be mindful and to sit in the moment a whole lot more, like there's a lot that I've learned in the last nine years that would have definitely assisted my time back then. Further on down the track, like as it starts interacting, as he started interacting a little bit more and there was definitely a response that that tangibility made it easier to connect. But, and even now, like as even in the last three months, I've just gone through another wave of just really wanting to be around the kids as much as possible. We're in a co-parenting situation and it's easy to get lost in work when I don't have them, but just the, the want to be around them a whole lot more, it, it, it ebbs and flows. And it's, I always want to be with them, but there's times where I really want to be with them and, and definitely going through a period of that right now, which is really nice. Um, I just want to backtrack a little bit. You you kind of uh, said that you felt quite helpless during the labour. Can we explore that a little? What was that like? Yeah. Um, just, well, this is because we didn't have great communication. And, and this is why, you know, like to be able to say, hey, like, what do you need? What she needed is for, I think, me to know what I needed to do and just to do it, like to take more action. But I felt because we didn't have that trust, I would do things and I would it wouldn't be the right thing. And so I just started getting a little bit gun shy with, I don't know what to do. And this is where like having a relationship that goes for a couple of years, three, four years before you fall pregnant is really helpful because you go through hard stuff and you have to have hard conversations and you have to resolve things to be together. So we, because we didn't have that robustness, we had a lot of fragility in our relationship. It was really, really difficult to have hard conversations when she's super stressed going through contraction and it'd be functional and and she feel like I'm supporting. I feel like I'm useful like that. Yeah. And had I probably gone off and really researched things really well and come in with a, you know, a really high degree of certainty, I feel like that would have definitely improved the situation um, because I feel like she probably needed that strength. I just, I was, I was at a point in my life where the dynamic had, I'd become a bit gun shy with all things. I wasn't, I just wasn't very sure of myself generally, particularly around what she needed and, and what was going to be best. So um, that, that, that definitely played out in, in that part for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a famous saying in the, in the kind of birth world. And that is that the energy that got the baby in is the energy that gets the baby out. But it's, it's very difficult to find that energy if you don't have a deep connection with the, you know, the person who's giving birth. So um, but it does it does sound to me like you knew a little bit. You're talking about, you know, delayed cord clamping and uh, skin to skin. It wasn't that you didn't actually, you know, look into what's what's good for a, a brand new baby. Yeah, well, I think it's it's more about what to do for her. Like there's she's experiencing uncertainty. Who do I need to be for her in this moment? Do I need to just allow her to be in the uncertainty because we've spoken about that and we're, you know, we're just in, like enjoying the uncertainty, which is probably something that we would be doing now, like because we've got that capacity and awareness. Um, or is it, yeah, it was it was much more about what do I do for her? What do I do to 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 make her feel more safe? And yeah, it, yeah, I guess the baby's safety was a a concern, but pr- most of my attention was on like. Um, am I doing the right thing for her? Um, and I think with more time and more understanding and uh, a little bit more collaboration, it would have, it would have been better, but um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I'm sitting here with all of these lessons as a result. So you don't take things back like that because you can't. And so what did you, what did you bring to the second birth that um, from that experience? I mean, we were a lot more certain this time. And I, I'd have to say, 
there was a few decisions made for us, like placenta previa and uh, the baby not engaging at all, not being in the right position. That made it easy for for us to go down the C-section pathway. And that's just a different situation because you've just got a time. You're just booking in. You just you just cruise into the hospital and away you go. Sorry, what was that? Eight, six, what did, what did you say? Oh, I, you know, they, like, as opposed to this baby is going to come whenever it comes, it's like the baby's coming at 8, 16 a.m. Right, right. Because yeah. that's the time gotcha. of the C-section. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. That's right. So, um, so for that reason, I guess we were just reading up on you know, what, what are the things that you've got to do for a, a C-section baby and uh, what, what can help them. But I mean, this kid has been pretty incredible from the beginning. Both have, um, he was, a he slept really well on the first night. He, we've just had very little issues with him. So um, yeah, I mean, that was all successful and, and the preparation for it, I guess was, I guess as well, what I've been sort of talking about, it was much more about the relationship than than the child like we knew we had a child we know we've got another one coming along the way um how that changes our life well we'll see when it gets there but um uh we were probably in a better space uh this time around um still with some stress but it was definitely a more peaceful experience for both of us that's for sure uh but i would also say that doing things out of fear uh require i think the 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 antidote for that is to actually confront the fear in whatever you're scared about. And it's often not the actual child itself. It's about something else, you know, whether it be your own childhood or worthiness or whatever it might be, that stuff needs to be investigated regardless. And that's often where the fear is coming from. So um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I do remember the little bub coming out the second time because obviously it's not trying to push down the canal. He gets held up without much of a struggle and just, watching his little face like big clamp shut and then to start crying. Oh, that's a pretty special moment just to watch them take their first breath and do their thing. So it was a, a different experience on that. Was the feeling at that moment different to the first one? Do you think? It's a good question. I was a lot more present. Absolutely. Cause it was only a couple of years ago. I'd learned a lot in the six leading up to that. So I was a lot more present. Um, I was able to really interact with, uh, uh, their mum as well at the time because she's obviously numb from the waist down and awake. So we're having a chat and it's all happening and she can feel a bit of pressure. Like it's a very, very different situation. So it was definitely a much more connected time for us. Um, and uh, yeah, seeing the baby come out, like I just was trying to take as many mental snapshots as I could just to, you know, just to see it, just to experience it. And um once again, like it's the interaction and the playing with the kids, which has been my real fun. Um, you know, a little baby is exciting, but it doesn't have as much tangibility as as uh, a little one that can run around and do stuff. So it's probably just allowed me to, particularly when my mates have gone through it, just it's like you just don't expect to feel completely connected to this child for the first six months. That was my experience. But it's good to know that in some cases because you can be there pushing for this connection and think that you're failing at it. You're failing at this connection piece, but that's okay. It's actually mum's time. And if we were to think about the balance of attention, 99% of it needs to be mum right now. And that's exactly like, and to think of you're just naturally observing that and, but we can judge ourselves about it. So just um, it's been my counsel just to lower your expectations about how connected you're going to feel. But some guys, like I speak to, I'm part of a men's group. They're like, 
my whole world changed when I saw this child's face. It's like I will never, ever let anything, you know, come to harm. And it's like, that's awesome. It just wasn't my experience. And to know that there's a big gradient of those experiences doesn't mean there's a, a right or wrong way of doing things. Oh, absolutely. You look, that that's exactly why I asked that question, did you to feel the bolt of love? Because I do think that men sometimes when they become a dad, they're expecting this bolt of love because, you know, others might have experienced it, but then they don't and they kind of feel oh, well, you know, what's wrong with me? And so, yeah, it's great. It's And what you said there, that spectrum of, of connection is real. And so I want to highlight that as part of this podcast so that everyone's experience is valid, you know. It just the, the thing that makes it stressful is when you judge judge how you're feeling. You know, like if you could just say, oh, I'm feeling this way, I wonder why I'm feeling that way. It's a really nice curiosity to have rather than, oh, man, I should be feeling X. Um, so yeah. And yeah, I think that's actually a great, uh, a great philosophy to take into fatherhood all the way, because I I do think that, you know, if, if you're able to look at it with a sense of curiosity and also that, that kind of like, whatever feelings I'm having are valid because it's, it's what you're having, uh, then, Mm. then I think, you, you know, acceptance will, like you say, reduce stress. What was it like to bring a brand new baby home? I mean, you're bloody careful, aren't you? Like this delicate little thing. Um, Just thinking coming out of the hospital, yeah, you just, you are being so careful not to break them as you're like putting them in car seats and various things like that. It's, I I guess, (laughs) from a purely functional point of view, they don't do much, you know, for the first few weeks. So they just lie down and they, poop and then they cry and they feed and that's about it so life is pretty normal outside of that except you're just hyper attentive to stuff so i guess probably the thing that i've learned is that it's you get anxious about am i doing enough because this child's not really doing much do i need to do stuff and i'm going to generalize here blokes like to do stuff and so uh and they like to be useful so i'm i'm often talking to my friends from that learned experience and saying, whenever you've got that energy of, I don't know what to do, then just do something for her. And just you're, you're essentially taking care of her. She's taking care of the child. And if you've got a chance to take care of the child, happy days. But if you can direct all of that anxiety and just make it actually make her feel more comfortable, that is always going to be a winner. Oh, look, I, I call it the energy exchange, the perinatal energy exchange, because at any time during the perinatal period, it is all about the mother, really. Um, and if you can if you can provide her or save her, conserve some energy for her by doing anything that she doesn't need to do, then that energy goes into the child and everyone benefits. Yes. In the long yeah, run. Yeah, exactly. What about uh, just some pearls of wisdom for fatherhood? I, I, like of a newborn. If I was to reflect on that, even though I didn't have the level of mind-blowing lightning bolt connection, um, being regularly in touch with the child and doing something regularly with them, I think is really, really important. So if you're like me and didn't feel megaly connected, um, I was still cuddling and kissing and, and being close to it as, as him, as them, as much as I possibly could. Because you're still building, like for me, your presence of being there in a space of love is something that they definitely pick up on. That's, that, that's I guess, what it's all about. And so regardless of the intensity of your feeling, you just being there is a theme that 
I think all kids should have for life from their parents. So um, just the regular behavior, like, you know, develop a little bit of a routine something that allows you to go, yeah, I'm doing my thing with them. And that feels like you're getting something done. You know, other people are much more natural with, oh, I know exactly what to do and we're going to do all of these things and we're going to sit down and we're going to entertain and we're going to make funny farting sounds and whatever it might be. Um, for me, I needed to be a lot more structured with things. It's like, yeah, do this and do this and do this. And this is my show of love. This is my intention to um, to make sure that they're feeling good. So that's definitely a, um, I, I think that that for me would be the lesson that I would take out of it is regardless of how you feel, be there consistently in a space of love and that's it. And if you're pissed off with something, don't be near the child, get calm and then come and hang out with the child. And definitely this is what we know from, you know, heart rate variability and uh, the impact that um, a, like your heart rhythm emits an electrical impulse that is picked up by the skins, by the skin cells and by the heart cells and, your heart rhythm actually influences the child's heart rhythm. This is one of the ways they can determine whether a child's in stress or not in the womb. Um, but you have actually, what whatever state you're in is going to be matched by the child because your state's a lot stronger than theirs. So um, just knowing that when you're spending time, it's in that, like, why am I here? This is a loving space and, and calming yourself down into that loving space as much as possible would be something that I, that I reflect on quite a bit. And even now I still do. I wanted to ask you, you know, you've been through uh, two versions of the transition to fatherhood, essentially. One is with a person that you didn't have a strong connection with and one is with a person presumably you had a better connection with. Is that correct? Yep. yep. So, uh, oh, what... no, same person, same person. Oh, it's the same person. All yep. oh, right. Yep. We've so had, you've we've had a few. Stayed... Okay. We right. stay together. We... Yeah, same person. Yep. Excellent. So what have you learned about relationships in that time then? <laughs> wow, that is fantastic. Uh, yes. Okay, I've learned a few things about relationships. One is both people have to be working on it for it to work. Both people need to want it to be the best it can be for it to work. You also need to recognize the limitations that people have, both, and I speak about my limitations here and her limitations, and some people, while they might have chemistry, um, may not actually be the best intimate relationship partners. But now we're actually pretty good friends. It's a very different situation but because most people get a few years of working each other out. But I would even still say after that that you don't really get tested until kids come along. I, I would say that you want to welcome the test. You want to welcome uh, difficulty in your relationships you want to, and, and I, I don't mean to say you, you wish it. I'm just saying you welcome it. Like if, if, if stuff gets hard, then that's definitely going to show you where your, where your weaknesses are, where the weaknesses in the relationship are. And like, you need to be strong. You're building a very, very strong connection between yourselves so that, you know, the child can stand on the bridge between it essentially. Um, and without that bridge, it's, you know, it's difficult for the children. And we've definitely seen it with our kids as we've, we've not had, the most fun co-parenting time over the last year and a half, but now it's in a really good spot and it makes a big difference to the kids. So things that I've learned about the relationships are you've got welcome, welcome the difficulty, but both people have got to be actively and willingly moving towards the best possible version of the relationship and also looking to accept the other person as they are and love them as they are not trying to, 
hope that they become something that matches their better understanding of what a partner should be. So it's, and, and truly wanting the best for that individual as well. And I think this has probably been the biggest evolution in my life is all relationships and friendships in my life now are very much, I want the best for you and I don't have attachments to what you do with that. So if you want to be here, that's great. If you want to be elsewhere, that's also great. And I love you and I want you to be on your journey um, and and be enjoying your life and becoming the best possible version of yourself. And if you so ha- if it so happens that we both think that we become much, much better people and we're able to hold that energy for ourselves better when we're spending time together, then let's spend more time together. And if that then evolves into something significant, wonderful. But I, I think that there's a lot of, exp- well, no, I'm going to say my experience was that you can work through anything um, and and people just need to deal with their stuff and it's going to be fine, but it's actually not always that way. And there are some people that you will fight for years and then you just wait out till the kids are gone and then you divorce after 30 years and it's this massive shock to the family when in fact those same signs were were back in the day but you didn't act on them. And, but sometimes this is the thing is like sometimes acting on it and actually having this idea of I want out of this can be the most freeing, relieving thing to actually experience and feel. And it may result in a much stronger relationship as a result with that same person intimately, because sometimes you feel trapped. And if you feel trapped, nothing good is going to come out of your space. And so if you can free yourself mentally and just say, that's it, I'm out and have that conversation with yourself, even with them to say, Hey, let's actually talk about, what it would be like to split up, you get the feedback immediately on whether that's the right decision or not. So, uh, and and this is where, you know, there's a, there's a conversation I'm having with a mate right now and he's thinking about, well, he's left his partner and then his counsellors are actually trying to recommend that he get back with her and be bl- and blaming a, like he's got, he's been diagnosed with ADHD um, as an adult and, she, and they said, oh, this is why, you've been having trouble with the relationship. You've been blocked off from those feelings. And I was like, no, mate, (laughs) no, that is not the advice. Like, and that might be right. But what happens is you've got to be your best version of yourself and then make a decision from there while you're in this separate space. You don't go back to just cover off and make them feel better. You've got to be, you've got to be bringing your best version of yourself. You've got to be empowered and loving and freely choosing to be here because if there's any level of trap, it's disastrous. And, and, and in many ways, uh, the individual I was with felt very trapped, uh, but we were trying to stick it out because we thought that the value of family was greater. And I was there like, I'll say, look, fine. If you want to stay because of the kids, then I, I want to do this because I think we can get there. Um, and as it turns out, um, I felt trapped by my own belief systems in that way as well. I've got to stay because otherwise I fail. And so it wasn't that I was trapped. Like it wasn't I was being forced to stay here. I was forcing myself to stay in a relationship that wasn't successful because I had belief systems that weren't serving me. They were built on an old model that weren't relevant for this current experience. So um, it took me a while to unravel that. And it was a lot of introspection and actually meditation that that allowed me to realize, you know what, I'd, we can have this conversation and maybe we can release each other. And from that moment, things have been significantly better. So it all comes from, I want the best for you without attachment. That's It's not that if you're having fights, you should break, it, but you should be able to entertain every experience and feeling 
and discuss it. And if you can't do that, then you need to be talking to somebody so that you can get better tools and skills to be able to do that. Because if you're having to hide things or to compromise on things, it's it's just like, you know, sneaking chocolates every day. It has an effect over time. It won't affect you today, but it will affect you over time. And there's nothing wrong with chocolate with it's, you know, if it's used judiciously. <laughs> but um, as an example, I guess it's it's that if you are if you're not feeling like you can be free and not feeling like you can be aligned with who you are, then you need to do something about that so that you can be that person. Because if you're not that person, you'll be you'll be hampering their happiness as well. So um that was a long a long reflection on all of those things but it's it's definitely something that i've given a lot of thought and and what i'm trying to take forward as well it's all relevant and it's all great and i think that yeah again that it's also for the kids as well i mean the kids are probably not living their full truth and and that's been a probably a great example that they see that their parents well they probably don't understand it now but they will in the future you know that that their parents kind of couldn't stay together, but they still, you know, have this love for them. And, you know, you've got to live your truth, don't you? Otherwise you're going to get stressed right. out. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. And the, and the kids probably the greatest, the greatest quote that I've heard, and this has been from uh, uh, a counselor and support person of mine. And that is uh, what kids want. The kid, what kids want the most is for their parents to be happy. Because if you're not happy, they blame themselves. So if you're constantly showing happiness, and this is where like the discussion with, are you better off together? Are you better off separate? Like, where are you going to be your happiest, most authentic self? Not protected from pain, but where you can confront pain and actually deal with it in a healthy way. What's going to enable you to be happiest? Because then all they get is this example of life is happy and they don't get this feeling that I've caused some level of unhappiness. Uh, and that, that's been a game changer. Like the ability to be selfish with the idea of a selfless outcome has really worked for me. That may not be the way that it works for everybody else. Some people are just genuinely more selfless and feel happy when everybody else is taken care of. Uh, but it made a big difference for me to know that my happiness was actually the thing that was guiding their happiness. And so focusing on that, was was it became a lot easier because you can't control their happiness you can only control your own. Mm, you can try and facilitate it, but yeah, you can't t- entirely, like you say, control that. Uh, excellent, mate. Look, those are profound insights there. And I think it's really important to give those insights to expectant parents, particularly first-time expectant parents, because conflict is coming and you have to learn how to have that conflict in a safe environment, a safe bubble. So uh, brilliant, brilliant stuff. And it's great. It's it's great that you actually you mentioned right in the beginning that you had issues with your relationship and then you worked on it for eight years and you know decided to have another child together, which is a is a great story. And yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that in so much great detail. Just finally, we wanted to go into um maybe yeah, what you've learned about fatherhood and how you're enjoying it and what you like to do to create memories with your kids. Anything around those kind of themes? Yeah. Um, I guess a lot of the work that we're doing is about, you know, understanding the individual needs of the child. And so uh, most of my fatherhood is thinking about how can I make sure that these kids are in the right environment for them? That's that's essentially my focus is 
And as much as I can, because when I get stressed, I don't get as good at it. When I'm tired, I don't get as good at it. I revert to what's normal for me, not necessarily what's normal for them. But I know that uh, probably the greatest thing that I'm focusing on all of the time is how can I allow them to express more of who they are as opposed to who I want them to be. And I've got this old school brain where it's like, you got to be good at school and you got to be good at this. I've done, you know, 22 years at school, whatever it might be with PhDs and whatnot. But that's not probably going to be their path. Like I thought, oh, mate, what are the things that you love? I love playing and I love friends. I was like, great, let's do more of that stuff and actually create an environment where you just get to be more of you. And that's actually very aligned with their biology as well. He's got higher levels of oxytocin, which means he needs more connection and fun. Um, and to be trying to, to be told to do things in a linear way, do this and grow this and be here is actually, it creates just discomfort for him. And, but that's the way that I like to do things. And so I have to just be consciously thinking about what is what is best for this child. And I guess I'm not thinking so much about making memories. Um, and that's a m- part of my focus and just the way that I'm set up is I'm thinking about the future. What I'm thinking about actually most of the time when I'm parenting is I want them as they're going through teenage years to have me as a really stable support. And I want to have a good enough relationship with my kids so that when they're going through these very, very interesting times as a teenager, which is going to be really interesting for my two, um, that that I've that I've got great trust and connection with them, and they'll be able to share anything with me because I know that they'll be a lot safer and they'll be better placed if they've got that as well. So it's funny. I, I'm not actually thinking about. I, I mean, I take photos of stuff because I know that I forget things. Like I forget so much stuff. So I take lots of photos and I take lots of video. Um, and then I love to rewatch that and remind myself about things. But most of my day is actually spent thinking, how is this going to impact him when he's older? Like, what is going to, what do I need to do to help him know that who he is is a great person and that he knows who he is, who he isn't? Um, because that that idea of knowing who you're not is is even more important sometimes than knowing who you are. To be able to say no to things that are going to be fairly destructive and so just helping him build that social immune system. And that is, is the big thing that I'm, I'm working on, I guess. So it's, it's much more of a future focus than a, uh, than what I'm going to reflect on later. Great answer. Uh, You seem to have been able to work out that those biological markers in your children. Is it easy to do? And is how can, uh, how can other fathers recognize what their, you know, what their, uh, their markers are for their, their own kids? So, so there's a, an assessment process uh, that we've been developing for the last couple of decades. And it's something you can do at home with a smartphone. It's um, It just requires a few measures and a couple of photos. And that, that data gets used to uh, profile the phenotype of the individual, which then has a whole lot of links back to embryological development, hormones, uh, genetics. So this is the real new wave of precision health. And uh, so where we can profile anyone from two years and up. Um, and you get a, a parenting course with it as well to say, hey, this is your child and this is why they need lots more social time and what's going to make them feel fun and you should not try and force them to learn this way because this is actually their natural space to be in. And I go in and tell my the teacher of, of my oldest about this stuff and I say, like, just pat him on the back because he gets oxytocin from that. Make sure you give him eye contact. Make sure you give him big facial expressions because those things he's very visually dominant, which we know is just the way that his brain works. So when he sees that he's got trust and connection from you and you're giving him big, big visuals, 
uh, that makes a big difference to the, how comfortable he feels. And then he'll learn really well. But if you just try and stay with the learning then it, and not develop that trust and connection, then it won't work as well. And, and that's worked really, really well the last few years while he's been at school. He's in year three now. Um, so Parenting 360 is the is the course. And you just, when you grab it, you can profile your whole family. So if you've got kids from 16 to two years old, you can profile them all and get an understanding and then and then get the information that supports you with it as well. It's like the parenting book that you actually need because most parenting books are just like, oh, you should parent the child this way and this is the way they set up their thing and this is the way their brain works and not all of their brains work that way. And so you're thinking this doesn't fit my child. And so the whole idea is this actually tells you this is your child. This is the, its natural impulses and this is how you can support them to be more of that. So because when a child gets to be more of themselves, they feel really good. They get confirmed in who they are. They've got Don't this natural all? urge. Exactly. And, and this is exactly, this is, you know, and, and there's a, some interesting people that I follow that speak to this as well. Like the, the small amount of, of time that a person actually needs being told to be better, to be to, that you're great at doing the thing that you're great at and you're great just the way that you are. The small amount you need of that to actually feel great is, is is a minuscule compared to the amount of stuff that we get about how we're not good at things or why we should be a different way. So it doesn't take much, but if you know how to support somebody, like if, if, if someone's parenting me and say, Hey, Cam, let's get you on this nice linear progression of following these rules. And this is the outcome of that. I'll think this is the best environment for me ever, but that's absolute torture for my child. So just, um, and, and this is where you can, separate yourself and de- just change your expectation on who your child needs to be as well, because we, we want them to be mini us and we have expect and, and, you know, anyway, we can get into that another time, but it's, it's nice to actually know that cate- categorically, objectively, they are not you and they will need different things to you. Um, and it can take away a whole lot of mystery. Mm. Look, that's brilliant. And I definitely will be going to parenting 360 uh, very soon. Cause it's something I I'm fascinated by uh, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Cam. Uh, it's been brilliant to talk to you and some profound messages and pearls of wisdom there, mate. Um, thank you again. And w- I would love to have you on again to talk in more detail about, about those that aspect that you just kind of highlighted there at the end. Sure. Yeah, no worries at all. No, thanks for having me, Steve. You're doing great things. Thanks. Cheers, mate. I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging.